Is there a future where The Sopranos will one day be lost by newer generations? Perhaps in the oversaturation of streaming services and critically acclaimed TV like Tears and Rain. Welcome to Josh Hasn't Seen The Sopranos. I'm Jared Backens and I'm joined by my two millennial co-hosts, Drew Madden and Josh Fink, as we go through each episode to uncover if The Sopranos should still be considered the best. It's good to be in something from the ground floor. Even though some consider 2020 the golden age of TV, I get the feeling we came in too late for that. We came in at the end. The best is over. Josh hasn't seen The Sopranos. Here we go. So you're comfortable now, Drew? Yes. All right. That's good. We can we can get started. Episode four, Meadowlands. Josh, question for you. Who is spoiling the most TV shows on the internet right now? Is it A, Boomers, B, Gen X, C, Millennials, or D, Centennials? Probably going to have to go with Millennials. Um, I feel like... I don't know if you guys ever read Harry Potter, but um, there's that one Harry Potter book where Dumbledore. Oh, gotta gotta throw out the uh, spoiler alert. Uh, probably Say spoilers for Harry Potter. <laughs> and now, what were you saying? What spoilers for Harry Potter? But there's a uh, there's one of the books. It's like one of the later ones where he died, and then that was like my first book experience. six. Yeah. yeah, that was my first experience of people spoiling things, and it's like I remember the moment that got spoiled for me. Yeah, I was at a hotel pool, and some like little shithead of a kid is like oh you're reading that book like to i wasn't even reading it it somebody next to me and they're like you know dumbledore dies i was like what oh my god yeah and i feel like it's uh it's carried on you know i mean who was it um there's some athlete who ruined uh the last avengers movie um who was that oh it it was lashawn mccoy lashawn mccoy uh, (laughs) i was reading an article about it the other day like they're like, do you regret this? And he goes, actually, yeah, I really regret doing that. Like, I got so much hate for that. I thought I was being funny, but in retrospect, that was a really bad move. Rightfully so. Who you, who spoiled the Dumbledore thing for you, Drew? I was in a Barnes & Noble and I read the back of like the seventh one. And I, and I was just like, I'll forget. I'll definitely, I can just forget that. But I, but I did it. <laughs> And that's when you started smoking pot just to try to forget. <laughs> and then the long digression began. That's what I told. That's, really- that's what I told my parents at least. <laughs> I really want to forget Dumbledore. <laughs> People treat spoilers like they wrote the book. They're just they come out and be like, "Oh, you know, Dumbledore died." And it's like, dude, you didn't write it. What are you taking credit for right here? Um, for me, it was. It was Lord of the Rings. I just, I saw the first Lord of the Rings movie in theater, which that came out. Gosh, I wonder when the Harry Potter, six Harry Potter came out. I wonder if it was around the same time. 2001 was when Lord of the Rings came out, but I saw Fellowship of the Ring in the theater. Thought it was just one of the best cinematic experiences I've been to at at this point in my life. But then these kids in my class, they, they did the same thing. They would look ahead in the books, Lord of the Rings. They wouldn't even read it. And they would try to tell me spoilers about it, which... Lord of the Rings spoilers, if any of our listeners listeners haven't seen it. One of them was Gandalf comes back. He supposedly dies in the first one and then comes back in, in the second one. And so they re, they spilled that to me and I was I was pretty pissed off about it. So Josh, you don't think Centennials are, are doing this at all? Uh, define for me Centennial. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So <laughs> can, you, can you use it in a sentence? <laughs> the Centennials in the park are using a lot of Snapchat um so like old people centennial is 
after like I think ninety five or so born. Uh, so they're the generation after millennials. So I think millennials like what eighty one, eighty two to ninety three, ninety four, something like that. So we're old millennials, and then centennials is the generation after that. I don't feel. I mean, I don't. I'm not super active on social media, and uh, I don't really hang out with them in the wild. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not a. Uh, I'm not exposed to their spoilers. But um, I was when when we were talking about that, I was kind of thinking the human race is actually pretty good at not spoiling, you know, of all like the dramatic shocking endings, people are for the most part, pretty considerate being like, have you seen it? It's like, Oh, Oh, oh you, I'm not going to tell you how it ends, but yeah. whew, watch out. I was on this last week. I was on a U or I went on a YouTube video of the Sopranos and someone made a pretty funny comment, but said Sopranos gets spoiled a lot less than newer shows like breaking bad and game of Thrones, because either maybe it's the generations that are watching it or maybe it's like there's there's less there's more to talk about and less relied on on just like shock deaths and things like that like sopranos has its share of shock deaths as we'll we'll get into but there's so much more to an episode that's not like your biggest takeaway once once you finish watching an episode it's usually something something more nuanced than that so millennials again they're they're the ones to blame for it i think drew do you agree with millennials being the biggest biggest perpetrators of spoiling things i guess so i'm not really not on the internet in that capacity uh, <laughs> <laughs> i was I, I do the you know i did the rafting and i was on the river for game seven of the warriors Cavs, and i was like god <laughs> damn it like <laughs> i just knew i wasn't going to get through the whole week without knowing because we were like radioing in and stuff like there's not like internet service and someone told me, and I was like, bullshit. Like, you're fucking kidding me. And uh, it was true. The cops won. <laughs> That's pretty traumatic. It was. Uh, Drew, so you guessed the the correct amount of time last episode. This is only our fourth episode ever doing a podcast. So we guessed the time last episode. You guessed an hour and 15 minutes, and that was exactly right. I think on that, like, just as we're kind of discovering our own pace of podcasts and figuring out what works for us, and we were, we were talking about the art this last week, Drew. I went and just searched uh, Sopranos podcasts and found maybe 10 different other <laughs> rewatch podcasts, which I knew, I knew that there was like when I started initially, like had the idea for this, I knew that there was one current podcast out there by from two of the actors that are in the show. I don't want to say who those actors are uh, for Josh's sake here. And I thought that was okay. I was like, oh, that's that's exciting. They're going to give that different perspective. We're giving our, you know, millennial Josh first time watching the show perspective. But then I saw I saw the wealth of these other resources too. But I think that's actually I think that's actually good for us. Like all these other shows out here is actually gonna, you know, it's it's gonna get more people to notice us too. And I, I think when I think of art a lot or when I'm writing, when I'm trying to write like screenplays and things like that, I don't want to be dissuaded by other similar material out there. I just always want to create what I want to see. And, and so I think that that goes the same for this. Drew, you experience similar things with, with your art, I think, and probably how you learn about new techniques or artists that you like. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think everybody has like a, just a slightly new perspective, you know, even if it's slightly off, but you're into a certain topic, then you'll want to engage in all of it. I listen to Sacramento Kings podcast and they'll do a very deep dive into, uh, 
you know, a rookie who played two minutes and the, like that rebound he got was, was good. And I'm pretty entranced. <laughs> wow. I didn't know the Kings still had a basketball team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a G league team, but we get to play <laughs> in the NBA. The, the last anecdote I have about that is uh, I always think about this when I'm trying to write something new or, or write what I want to write out there. Uh, the studio that made Rain Man. So Rain Man won best picture, I think in, 88, I want to say they had the rights to Forrest Gump too. And they didn't want to make that movie because they felt they were too similar. Like, oh, here's this mentally challenged man who overcomes all the odds and, you know, hits a lot of stereotypes on the way and, and, you know, achieves greatness. So they got, they sold Forrest Gump, but then a couple of years later, Forrest Gump wins best picture in 94. And they're, they're very different movies too. And I think that but, goes but to show. But one thing like, they have in common, as we learned in uh, Tropic Thunder, do you think they can make Tropic Thunder now if they tried to make it? Oh, I was thinking about that the other day. With, I think it's that's one of my favorite movies. It's I think it's really funny. But it's shocking when people say that, like, oh, that movie couldn't be made today. Or when you hear that about The Office, like, oh, The Office would never be made today. Where it's like, The Office, I mean, they yeah, some, some episodes are kind of edgy, if you will. But overall, it's like, I was like, I don't know. I think that could be made today. What do you guys think? I'm a proponent of art really could be made at any time. Like, the, like if you're creating, like if you're creating an insensitive character, I think that is totally okay. And Michael Scott in the office is completely insensitive and is <laughs> tone deaf and everything. And I think that's okay. And when you start, when you create a stereotype, like if you're perpetuating stereotypes apart from who the characters are, then I think that's what can't get made today. Um, like old movies or TV or something that's perpetuating a stereotype, I think that's really harmful. But if you're creating a character who might be racist or homophobic or sexist or whatever, I think that's that's really important and that can get made at any time. Like the Chappelle show? What about it? Oh, I mean, just like perpetuating stereotypes, you know, and, and just being like, is this is this like a positive impact or is this, you know? I don't think it did. I think it, I think the humor was it played on what those stereotypes were. I think of... Um, Actually, it was a Chappelle skit. He was talking about, I digress, but he was talking about the conflict of Bill Cosby, right? Like how he did so much good for for the black community, but then obviously is a horrendous, horrendous person. Um, so that aside, but he was talking about the Cosby show. When, when Bill Cosby was making that, he spoke with psychologists to not perpetuate black stereotypes. He didn't want any of any of those stereotypes in the show. And I think that was really, really important in, in creating that type of art. So whereas the Chappelle show, I think it is playing into what society has created. Those stereotypes are, I think, I think the Chappelle show could exist today is I guess what I'm saying out of that. I mean, I still think it's fucking hilarious. Watch the episode <laughs> where John Mayer plays music for the office. And, but he goes into the barbershop and he's just like playing like a riff or something. And they're like, dude, Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. How do we, even, oh, do we get here because you could create any art that you want? Or we're we talking about if Tropic Thunder could get made today. I don't know. I mean, I was just going to say when you like listen to comedians and stuff, it's like, I don't, it's depending on like how hurtful the content is, but a lot of it with entertainment is a play on something. It is pretend. It is like, fake so mm -hmm. but you, you know i'd never want to create anything that hurts someone deeply like maybe rubs them the wrong way but you know not necessarily twist a knife in in wounds or something 
Yeah, and I think I think especially for Tropic Thunder, the the comedy was so intentional that you'd really have to be a poor sport to get offended by any of that. You want to you want us to quote you on that? You have to, if you get offended by Tropic Thunder, you are a poor sport. <laughs> That that could be the uh, the subtitle of this episode. <laughs> I'm, I'm not one to say what, value. <laughs> what someone should be offended by or shouldn't be, but I don't think the intent was wrong in Tropic Thunder. <laughs> that that, that might have been a better way to put it. I'm stuck in a time capsule. You're always heroically giving the white man's perspective. Finally, your people are heard. <laughs> you, you just outed me. <laughs> Nobody knew who I was. <laughs> oh, they, they knew. They they knew. So let's get into the episode, Meadowlands here. Are you guys ready to... What was the core of this episode? I'm so ready. Okay, mine's good because it rhymes. I've got illusions concealed illusions revealed you like that damn <laughs> mic drop what does that mean to you what does that mean to me yeah oh, i guess just like different uh illusions in life like um i don't know shall i shall i when you find things out about your parents or when you're hiding things and you know everybody has these different facets to them and you kind of reveal different sides of yourself to people i love that all right, Josh, uh, tough to follow that one up. Uh, probably won't beat it, but I said the funeral of a childhood. That's a good one. Okay, so you saw it as the death of AJ's innocence in a way with his father. Yeah, and, and I mean, to expand on that too, I, I'm if we were doing a little, what do you think is going to happen next? I kind of feel like this is, if Tony Soprano had any humanity left in him, he was probably holding it back for like the sake of his kid, but... Once he realizes that his kid knows he's a mobster, it's going to be like, all right, well, now you know the truth. I can go do literally whatever I want. <laughs> so I think it's I think it's going to be the devolution of him even more. Um, that's my little what I think is going to happen next. But I think he had, you know, he's got some humanity in him, in, in my opinion, at this point. A little bit of care for his mother. At least he cares for his family in, in some regards, at least keeping it together. But um, yeah, I mean, I think... I think the main focus, what I took away was, you know, uh, his kid just eyes opening at such a young age to one, not only like who his dad is, but also what that bring, what that does to him as a kid too. It kind of like robs his childhood. He didn't, he didn't get that moment of, uh, where he gets to fight for the money. He's like, it was just given to him. The funeral of a childhood was Josh's and illusions concealed illusions revealed was Drew's. Mine was just appease the elderly. That was what I thought it was about the the older generation. It seemed like to me the theme was a lot about the transition from an older generation to a newer generation, and we're all in, in everyday life we, we're familiar with this too. Like we see, you know, older older parents or older relatives or that have a hard time shifting, have a hard time realizing that oh, this next generation might know something more than I do. Um, or, I mean, we see it like our average age of our politicians now, I think. I mean, two presidential candidates are 80. So I think there's probably, they're having trouble. They're in like Uncle Junior's position. But I think it's it's a it's a very common thing is having difficulty accepting, like maybe you might not know the best now. And maybe someone who used to care for and raise might know right now better than than you do at this point. What uh, would you guys think of the episode high level? I thought it was pretty good. I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was a little slower um, than 
some of the other ones we had watched, but it was definitely more of a chess game. You know, he, you could see the pieces being moved around for moves to be later on down the road. And I thought it was really interesting how, you know, Tony didn't want to continue therapy, then decides to continue it. Maybe because he thinks Dr. Melfi's hot, maybe because he wants to keep his wife happy. I can't really tell which, which one it is. I try to take a view of uh, Tony from like a business perspective. And, and it was interesting earlier this week, I, I saw a quote from Ronald Reagan that said, there is no limit to the amount of good you can do if you don't care who gets the credit. And Tony kind of takes that at heart. He's like, he doesn't care who has the ideas. He's going to run with it. Like last episode we saw when the, the Jewish guy was like, Oh, just snip off the guy's uh, dick. And you know, that'll get him to talk or this one, Dr. Melfi is saying, you know, kind of create the facade that the old people have the power. So he, he's kind of taking anything from the environment and using it to his benefit. And, you know, in a way, I think that's kind of like inspirational to probably a lot of people around him. I think he's in a weird way, a good leader. I, I really like that. I think that's actually something a lot of leaders don't have. They have more ego in it. And at least at this point, Tony doesn't, to me, Tony doesn't seem overly egotistical. And maybe that's because that plays into his depression and he is really insecure. So he actually is okay with taking other people's ideas. But like you said, Josh, I think that actually makes him a better leader because of that, because he has that humility a little bit. Yeah. Which kind of led me to the thought of, yeah, at this point, does he even want to be the head guy? Yeah, I don't. Let's get into that. We're going to get into that one a little bit later. I, I want to delve into that too, because I'm, I'm not sure either. Drew, any initial high level thoughts of the episode? Yeah, I thought it was great. I thought it showed a little, a little dating, like a little nineties. It, it is nineties at, at a lot of parts too, and it, it still hasn't. Being the first season of Sopranos, it ha- it has those kind of nineties network show tendencies where it falls onto at times, but it's still, I think, it's still working to shed its layer and and become very much, you know, something that no one's ever seen before. Josh, real quick, just because this is about younger generation kind of a shift in power a little bit too. And if the older generation is okay with that, I'm curious just at your work too. I mean, you're probably the boss to a lot of people that are a lot older than you. Yeah, no, that's very much the case. What's that? I mean, how has that dynamic been for you or what's that like? Well, so I, I do work with my dad. My dad does own the company and he's very much an authoritarian leader. Um, where it's, you know, it's pretty much a dictatorship at work and, uh, our workforce is, um, you know, they're, they're probably in their, their forties, uh, to fifties. And a lot of them have been there for 15 years or more. So they, they've have a, a history with my, with my dad. And so they've, I kind of came in with this natural, you know, respect as like, uh, the chosen one in a way. And then I didn't like that. So I, I, I worked to earn, you know, for the last six years, like actual respect. Um, so they, they value what I bring. And also, you know, I do have the backing of, uh, of the boss. So in a weird way, I do identify with, uh, with the show a little bit because not that my dad's a mobster or a mean guy or anything, but like he is the boss and I'm kind of like the boss's kid. And I do get certain benefits of that. Um, but, um, everyone treats, treats me with respect and I treat with them with respect. So it's been this growing relationship where, um, and, uh, I'm not very, I'm not like a mean boss or anything like that. So, um, 
I think everyone gets along well, but it is, it was interesting starting out like seven years ago, uh, just walking in with this like weird aura around me where people would automatically give me this respect that I didn't feel I didn't earn. Um, so that was weird, but now that I've earned it, I think it's, uh, it's pretty normal. I think that was probably a good leadership decision for you going into it. I think it probably would have been different if, what were you like 24, 25, seven years ago? Yeah, I was a uh, 23. So, okay. um, yeah, in, in my, I was pretty young and everybody else was probably like, you know, early forties at that time, if, if not a little bit younger, but, uh, they could have taken the approach of who's this guy, you know, but, um, I mm-hmm. think they respected my dad enough to be like, okay, let's, let's see what he can do. And, you know, it's, it's worked out so far. So this episode aired January 31st, 1999. Uh, so still this season one is running through the nineties. Uh, let's get into this synopsis a little bit. So it starts off Tony's seemingly in therapy. We get, we see that weird things start happening. Like he sees his friend Hesh walk by the window. He sees, uh, I think Silvio. And then he's, I think sees Polly, a uh, little pussy his whole crew there. So we realize he's, he's dreaming pretty quick. And as soon as I see Melfi in the chair with her back to him, I remember first seeing Psycho, the movie. And as he comes up to her and she turns around and, and reveals it's actually his mom and not Melfi, I thought that was awesome. He wakes up from the dream with his Russian girlfriend. He makes his way home. He sees his son playing Mario Kart 64, uh, and plays the game a little bit with him. Did Drew, did you play Mario Kart at all? Yeah, I wrote this. Yeah, I did. And I actually wrote this in my notes. Just like, it's just like such a pastime for my dad to like, it's like, why the fuck is he holding the controller like that? And then he's like trying to, <laughs> trying to cheat. And like, <laughs> I was like, that just reminds me of my childhood. Well, first he's holding it. Anyone who played Mario Kart knows it's super unrealistic. He's holding the controller. He's not even putting, pushing the accelerator. Uh, he's holding the controller wrong. Josh, did you play Mario Kart? I did. And I was a little annoyed by that. Like it was just, just not realistic. Um, but I mean, that's such a ticky tack thing. I'm sure. No, it's not Josh. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> they had the game on set. They weren't like, Hey, you two, uh, you two grip guys. Why don't you guys just tell us what buttons to push, play, play it for five minutes. Yeah, And then the kid hits the reset button. It's like, that's not how you reset a race. Like that you're going to go back all the it way. It starts again immediately yeah. after his reset button. Uh, and also, no kid who plays video games all the time is going to get fourth place on Luigi's Raceway. That's like the easiest course. <laughs> yeah, to their there's dad. no way I'm getting fourth place when I'm that age. It's just like, dude, I am winning this race. It could have been on like 150 CC. No, Josh, that one was pretty tough. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing, and I was like, no, there's no, there's no way. Sorry, it's. <laughs> This might be the reason millennials aren't getting behind The Sopranos as much. They'd rather watch Ozark or some other shit because <laughs> of this episode. They got turned off by episode four. They couldn't get past the the faux pas of the Mario Kart. <laughs> I was furious. This is just like fell into like 90s tropes of like, like no one even thought about this scene. It's like you got to put as much care into this as your other scenes, I think. Anyway, so... Uh, Adriana, Christopher's girlfriend, so Christopher's Tony's nephew, picks up Christopher from the hospital. He's injured because he got dragged by his neck onto the docks the previous episode by presumably Uncle Junior's crew. However, Chris thinks it's Tony still because he thinks that Tony found out that he gave Meadow 
uh, crystal meth the last episode. So he's really worried. You know, he can be whacked by everyone. It shows a little bit. Obviously, he's being paranoid, but it also shows Adriano's not really aware, I guess, of of a mob whacking at this point. Too, it really could be anyone coming towards him. It's not necessarily going to be Tony who's gonna who's gonna whack him. But then uh, <laughs> there's a funny interaction. She said, "I heard the nurse say you made number two in your pants." And that ends ends things pretty quick in that scene. Chris and Adriana get home and they find uh, their friend Brendan's dead. The previous episode, Junior had him killed by Mikey. So that's pretty shocking for them. We go to the new story of AJ at school. Uh, he gets into a fight with another kid, Jeremy. Really dated, really 90s things. It, still, the school interactions are, are silly. The fights are a little unrealistic for me. Well, did you think the... The payphone in the school. Did you guys have a payphone growing up in your school? There's a payphone in my high school, but not my middle school. Yeah. Okay. I was okay with that. Have you guys ever made a call on a payphone? Yes. Yeah. I've, I, I used to have to make a collect calls a lot, like to my parents, you know, to like let them, because I would go to the library after school a lot and it'd be like, all right, call and collect. And just on the collect part, just be like, go to the library. Love you. Like, going to soccer practice after oh you said that in the collect so (laughs) they knew you were okay but they didn't accept the call right oh that's that's pretty smart have you seen the movie payphone with uh, colin farrell yeah i have that was better than i thought it would be i thought it was gonna be a lot dumber yeah it actually it actually turned out to be okay you would think a movie called payphone that takes place in a payphone is just a scam to get teenagers money but it actually turned out to be much better than expected i thought there's like a like Kiefer Sutherland. All right, spoilers for Payphone if you still are going to go back. If you're going to take a time machine to the early 2000s and watch a Colin Farrell movie. Uh, but like Kiefer Sutherland's the sniper, right? Yeah. There's like a That's sniper like holding him down. It's the guy from 24, right? Yeah. Kiefer Sutherland's like first big movie, wasn't it Stand By Me? Is he one of the kids in Stand By Me? No, he's the, he's the gangster guy. Oh my. Yeah, I was going to say, I guess that generation didn't match up. Um Spoiler Whoa. for uh, Stand By Me. Yeah, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I, if, if we do anything from this podcast, like if we could do one thing is to limit internet spoilers for other people that come after us, that would be very important to me. <laughs> and I think we're, we're on the track to do that. So I appreciate it. Anyway, Tony's going to therapy and he sees <laughs> in the same building that Melfi, Dr. Melfi has her office there's a dentist office and he sees Silvio leaving the dentist, which is just a funny interaction. He's being, you know, old jovial with the dentist. Uh, Tony jumps into an office to hide because he's, if he gets found out, he thinks like someone's going to whack him. No one wants him talking to a therapist. So he's terrified that Silvio will see him in therapy. Tony starts second guessing therapy. Uh, and this is when I think this is probably the first time, like you start to realize maybe, Tony's attracted to Melfi. Obviously, there could be a physical attraction there, but there is some Freudian or psychological reasoning for this, right? It's like, oh, this person is healing him emotionally, and suddenly he starts forming some sort of attraction. Also, with the first scene with Melfi turning into his mom. Oh, dude. Strange Freudian attraction, you know, like finding a mate that's like your mom or, you know. Who has, wow. who has answers or something? That's really good. Damn, Drew's bringing bringing it this episode. <laughs> yeah, dude, what? <laughs> also, yeah, her dentist office in a 
in therapy and also her her room is is it's circular right like do they just have like a pillar off of the <laughs> side of this all-encompassing doctor's office <laughs> It's not really practical, but you can bring that up in the pitfalls. Yeah, the building structure, they're like, I'm thinking so they, we do a circular add-on right it's here. It's like Dr. Castle. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. So he's starting to second-guess therapy. He's worried his mobster friends will find out. Christopher, Tony's nephew, goes to pick up Meadow, Tony's daughter at high school. Demands Meadow tells him that she told Tony that he sold her the crystal meth the previous episode and you know, she, she didn't say a word. So she denies this. Uh, she says something like, you know, she's, you know, I hate my life. I hate being a soprano. And he's Christopher says, you know, don't ever say you hate your life. That's blasphemy, which it's so interesting too. every time religion plays a role, I think in these mobsters lives, because it makes you, and it makes you wonder to what extent that dictates their decisions. AJ is trying to catch a fly in his room, which is a really stupid moment. Uh, it's totally a fake fly. He's like trying to, you know, half-ass jump and try to get it on the couch. Carmela comes in, finds his ripped shirt from the fight at school, and AJ says he'll he'll get the money to fix it. Uh, Tony goes to the retirement community and brings his mom, Livia, macaroons. She looks really excited for a second, too, when he brings it, but she just... She has to hate it somehow. She waves her hand. Oh, they're too sweet. Tony is constantly trying to get her out of there, get her out into the city. She doesn't like the city. You know, mothers throwing their babies out of skyscraper windows. She has her recurring statement of, I wish the Lord would take me now. And then finally at the end, she tells Tony to leave a few macaroons for the lunatics. But, you know, really she, I think, is the lunatic that wants the macaroons. But Tony's there to really meet his his contact in the uh, police force, which is a corrupt police detective who has a gambling problem. He's a slob. He's peeing in the tree when he gets out there. Tony wants to use him to follow Melfi, you know, as he gets more and more paranoid about this therapy situation. He wants to see if, if everything lines up on her side, he doesn't, he wants to make sure she's not talking. She's not letting anything in there too. So did you guys uh, notice that he was the dad from home alone? Yeah. Yeah. John Hurt. He's, he's a great actor. He actually, he passed away um, like a year or two ago, but oh, it's, no. man. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a expectation shift too, because he's just like, you know, a typical dad in Home Alone. And then here he's just like peeing into a tree. <laughs> I grew up on Home Alone. I love that. So at the hospital, uh, the, the crew, Tony's crew is seeing uh, Jackie. He's, Jackie's very sick. Christopher goes to meet them at the hospital and he reveals that Brennan's dead. And so this is the first time the crew realizes that junior is taking action against them. And to refresh our memory, Brendan got killed because he continued to steal the trucks that junior told him not to, not to steal. Uh, so Christopher reveals Brendan's dead. Big pussy makes a stupid Godfather reference again, because Christopher says, Oh, he got it in the eye or whatever. And big pussy says, Oh, the Mo green special, which I think I said it last episode. I was like, Oh, that's how Mo green got it in the Godfather. But then they go this episode as far as to tell us. And I think I want to explain to you guys why I don't like the on the nose references. And the best way I could think of how to put it to words is John Cleese, who's a member of Monty Python. Uh, he wrote an autobiography a couple of years ago that I read. He was explaining what it's like telling someone a joke. And the more you explain a joke, 
the more you're going to lose the most intelligent people in the audience, right? Like if you give somebody a very subtle joke, only probably like the the smart, the very smartest people in the audience are going to get it. And the more you explain it, you're going to lose those people and you're probably going to get people toward the other end of the spectrum. So really you probably want to target, it depends on what your audience is. You may, you might want to target somewhere in the middle or something like that. And that is probably tends to be what all of us like is we don't like to be explained things too much, but we want it a little bit there. And I feel like these references that go too far is they're explaining something too much for you. And you, you, it's too obvious that it causes me to want to like, you know, face slap or, you know, it's too on the nose. It's just, it's just too much. So that's the best I could explain. Like Larry, the cable guy. What about Larry, the cable guy? (laughs) Just all the jokes in it. Just, just his, his audience's level. Yeah. (laughs) I, I don't, I don't mean to discredit any audience, but I think people, a lot of like people who are making TV shows feel that they need to explain things too much for someone where it's best if, if that reference goes unsaid, I think like, who needs to like, we get it. You guys get, this is like the Godfather. Like we, we brought up maybe like nine references in the first four episodes on the Godfather. <laughs> That's too many. Anyway, Chris and the crew are actually down to take out Mikey. Like Chris says he wants to do it. Polly, who's more seasoned. He's the older, uh, he's the older guy in Tony's crew says he knows where Mikey lives. Uh, Tony says, no, he, he knows this will create conflict. You know, Tony's showing leadership here. Uh, so he heads out of the hospital. He still knows he has to take action. Like Mikey killed Brendan, who was associated with his crew. So this looks bad for Tony right now. On the way out of the hospital, he sees a staple gun. Josh, did you, when he saw that staple gun, did you have any idea what he was going to do with that? Oh, yeah. I knew exactly what was going to happen. I even like turned to uh, my significant other and watching the show. I was like, you might not want to watch this. Because I knew... I didn't know how it was going to be utilized, but I knew it was going to be used as a weapon of some sorts. So next scene, Tony goes to the restaurant where Uncle Junior's at. Outside, he sees Mikey, Junior's bodyguard, the guy who killed Brendan uh, in the car. Tony throws him out, beats him up, gets him with the stapler. He says this very twisted comment, which is so Sopranos. Uh, what are you screaming about? Free alterations. In the restaurant, you guys remember the, the joke Junior makes? It's a Godfather reference. So he says, uh, what did the Chinese Godfather say or whatever? Uh, he made him an offer they couldn't understand. And obviously the quote in the Godfather is, you know, I make him an offer he couldn't refuse. But anyway, that was a, a Godfather reference I could have done without. But this is a, a, a great scene between Junior and Tony. Junior explains himself why he was upset. Chris and Brendan continued to walk all over him. He's two generations above these guys, too. He feels extremely slighted. Junior's been around longer than pretty much anyone who has power in New Jersey now. And maybe he has reason to, but maybe it is a generational thing like we talked about before. Maybe it is his time to step aside. Um, But Junior suggests he's like, maybe your nephew Chris comes to work for me and that'll settle it. Because Chris is a good earner, uh, despite his shortcomings. And Tony tells him definitely not. And then junior it ends with junior telling tony to come in heavy which come in with a gun next time you come in here this is very tense junior's saying you know we're pretty much going to have a war tony has to figure out a way to get out of this josh do you think junior would have been as upset if he and tony were the same age or came from the same generation uh probably not i think um junior is definitely 
feeling disrespected. Um, I think he's kind of felt that way for a long time, especially with having, I would probably even say he didn't even have that much remorse when Jackie passed. I don't think he even respected Jackie as, you know, the head of the, the family. He probably felt like he was passed over at, even back then. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think he's, yeah, I think if the old age, you know, is a big deal. Um, and he doesn't believe Tony's respecting the elders and especially the way he treats his mom. So yeah, if he was uh, the same age, I don't think it would have been an issue. They would have settled it much, much easier. Drew, what do you think? Yeah, it reminds me of like in uh, uh, a couple episodes back when he goes, you know how many hours I spent like throwing a ball or playing softball with that kid? You know, it's just like Tony's like in debt to him for him spending time with him as a child. Or I think definitely there's a generational thing there where it's like, I know best. I think it is the I know best. And I don't know if he feels that Tony should be indebted to him but it's weird when you teach someone you know how to walk or how to throw a baseball you teach them all these things and all of a sudden like they might be smarter than you in a situation it's i can't imagine what it's like to have to release grip on that and every generation doesn't seem to be able to do that you know it's just a very interesting dynamic so we go to the tony's paranoia storyline which it shows his the Police detective he hired, Vin, following Melfi. Dr. Melfi's in the car chatting with her boyfriend, Randall. Then the police detective pulls him over. And then I, he might assume that Tony's having an affair with Dr. Melfi. So he wants to help protect Tony or something. Um, he's also a slob and just a kind of a schmuck. But he beats up Randall. He just, he just throws that guy down. But then Vin goes and tells Tony everything he knows about Melfi from following her. Um, pretty much nothing. Nothing extreme, but one thing that catches Tony's attention is Vin tells Tony that Melfi sees a shrink, which I think maybe probably all of us understand like, oh, you know, that makes sense. You know, someone's talking it out, but maybe for a lot of people, if they're not used to the idea of therapy or going to see a therapist, seeing a shrink is just like, well, what do they need to see a shrink for? I feel, I feel kind of slighted here, or I feel like somebody tricked me into talking to this person who actually needs help themselves. One thing I thought was interesting is when the detective pulled the car over, he's yelling at Dr. Melfi and he said, why, what did he say? Why, why go out for burgers when you have uh, steak at home or something like that? Like making it seem like he's catching or cheating. Oh. You know? And so I was like, cause <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen a night at the Roxbury, but um <laughs> Like 20 years ago. Yeah, okay, right. Anyway, <laughs> there's a scene where anyways, for those who haven't seen it, these two guys, like finally, like they've been dying to get a girlfriend. They finally get a girlfriend and uh, they're in an elevator together and they see these two hot women walk in and they look at each other and they're like, why go out for burgers when we got steak at home? So it's like, <laughs> and so like, I, I don't know if I misinterpreted that line, but I was like, is he insinuating that like Dr. Melfi is having an affair when it, no signs point to that. And obviously it seems like the detective might've misread the situation of what Tony wanted him to do. But I do think when Tony hired Vin, definitely Vin thought that Tony was having an affair with Dr. Melfi. Like why else would he want this, this woman followed? And so that's actually interesting. You know, Tony is treating this police detective like shit, really. Like he thinks he's a degenerate. This guy is actually sees some sort of loyalty to Tony, which is actually a little sad. Yeah, definitely sad. And it just goes to show that like, you know, Tony is his savior to his gambling problem. So he's going to 
he's clearly a low life with no no morals mm-hmm. and all he cares about is his, himself so <laughs> i thought it was really funny when <laughs> they first meet and he goes uh so what's in the box and he's like tony like looks at it like <laughs> fuck okay it's macaroons you want one he's like yeah yeah he gives him one he gives him one that was a nice moment (laughs) i really enjoy the next scene we meet the other capos at they're eating uh they're eating lobster dinner so quick review so jackie who's in the hospital he's the boss of the new jersey crime family right now their real boss is in a life sentence in prison so for all intents and purposes jackie's the boss the capos are his captains so they're the ones that they're Next in line, they're the other ones that pay up to him, and each of those capos have a crew. So Tony Jr. are both capos, and then we meet a couple of the other ones here. Jimmy Altieri, who's dark-haired and was overweight. Ray Curdo, he's an older one. Larry Boy Barisi, uh, he's in Goodfellas. You guys could have probably guessed that. Don't worry about their names or anything like that. Those are the three other capos that are at the lunch, but just kind of wanted to get a breakdown. And they reference – they always reference New York too, so – Given how large New York is, New York has like, I think probably currently five crime families, probably when the show was being made. So there's five crime families and there's, I think, one in New Jersey, too. So this the Sopranos clan, that's part of the New Jersey crime family and then the New York family. So they're all kind of intertwined to some extent. And we'll we'll learn a little bit more about them as we go. But the Capos and Tony are talking about potential war with junior. They know that the tensions here and they talk about who really should be boss when Jackie dies. Cause it's going to be a lot of madness here. And Tony suggests like Tony's very, Tony's very humble about it. And he suggests, Oh, Ray Curdo, you're the oldest one here. You're really next in line. And you know, Ray says, you know, I have, I have a son with uh, multiple sclerosis. I'm trying to get less involved with this. Tony, you're the boy wonder. Like they all think Tony should be next in line here. So Josh, you mentioned this earlier. Does Tony want to be boss? At this point, I don't know. Um, it's kind of one of those things where when he was younger, he probably dreamed of it. But now that he's getting closer, uh, you kind of see it's not all glory uh, that comes with the job. And so he's probably being like, well, it's really going to put a target on my back. It's really going to up in my life. He's probably thinking therapy is a uh, probably not a good thing if you're a mob boss. So selfishly he's probably thinking uh probably not like how can i get the power without having to be in the position that's kind of like how i how i saw it so um i would say no the way i see tony is he like he said in an earlier episode he's the sad clown like he has to show he's super strong but i see him as this really insecure shell and i think james gandolfini does such an amazing job acting about he's he's really quite empty inside do you think it's just he's he's not confident enough. He doesn't, he feels either self-conscious or he doesn't think he can, he can do it. Do you think that plays a role? I think it definitely does. I think, uh, I think he'd be one of those guys when push comes to shove, he'd do a good job at it, but probably in the moment they don't feel qualified or yeah, I, I would, it, the way he's acting, it doesn't look like he has the, uh, the confidence to pull it off. Drew, does Tony want to be boss or not? Yeah, I can't really tell. I don't, I think he's, I don't think he knows anything different and uh, he's got like a, a mom that he like cannot please at all. And so it's like, I mean, what do you see Tony Soprano doing if he's not, you know, a mobster? So I can't really tell. I don't, I think he doesn't really, but I don't think he knows what else to do. I mean, he's got a big, big house and 
all the accolades. And so I think he's confused. I think it should be a consideration. And I don't know. I, I don't have a clue at this point. Um, it should be a consideration though, that a lot of what he says is he's lying and trying to see people's, he's trying to not show his cards while seeing what other people's hands are too. Like, you know, he might not be, have the highest education. I mean, he does have a half semester of, of college under his belt, <laughs> but he is a good tactician. And so he might be playing reverse psychology a bit. Um, and I don't know. I don't know the answer. We shift to AJ asked the kid at school who's having troubles with Jeremy for some money. Uh, they get into another fight, whatever. They decide to have a fight at 3 p.m. that day or the next day or whatever. They they set a time for a fight. Drew, did you ever get into a fight at school? Oof. I, when in middle school, I got into like a shoving match in a library that was really short. And then I actually, in high school, there was like a kid that would like just get in fights with everybody. And <laughs> oh, dude, that story. And we're playing. He was a fight guy. He would just like go to the skate park and like fight kids in the rinks, like or in the, the bowls, you know? And uh, we're playing softball and I hit a ground ball to like first base. No, second base. He's playing second base. I run, I'm running from first to second and I yell screen like in basketball and <laughs> I throw up like a basketball screen and he can't make the throw because I like get in his way. So, oh, because there's a there's a runner on second going to third. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah I can't remember. But anyways, I yell screen. I get in his way. And <laughs> he goes, dude, I was like, he goes, dude, what the fuck? And I go, oh, sorry, man. And he just like grabbed me like around the neck, like kind of like a hug style, but like threw me over his, uh, his, his leg. And then he took the softball and threw it and it like grazed my head, but didn't hit it. But like at point blank range, I mean, not point blank, you know, like a body length, <laughs> but it was like, <laughs> holy shit. And I remember I was like, I'm sorry. He was like screaming at me. So it wasn't really a fight. I definitely lost, but I was also like not ready for it at all. I remember looking at my buddy and he just was like, oh, face, like, like why I eyes wide, like staring at me like, what the fuck just happened? And uh, so that's my, that was my one fight. That's not a fight, but I like that. So you didn't swing back or anything? No, no. I was, that I was, was gnarly. <laughs> it was so gnarly. So was this gym class? Yeah. And I was just like, nope, the teacher didn't see. Okay. I'm just going to pretend like that didn't happen. You tried to put a screen on the guy that gets into fights and he throws <laughs> a baseball at point blank range. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it, thank it, God he missed. If it had hit me, I think it would have really fucked me up. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know if I would have. Well, maybe, maybe you would have forgot. Uh, Dumbledore. Spoilers yeah. for Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. but maybe you would have forgot who, who, if Dumbledore died. Yeah, <laughs> that was what you needed. Yeah, that would have been a bonus. Uh, Josh, you ever get into a fight? Uh, I guess kind of. So in my elementary school, um, the first and second graders were separated from recess from the third, fourth and fifth graders. And so when I was in third grade, it was like first time being on the playground with the older kids. And uh, me and my buddies are walking to like the field to play soccer or something. 
and just mind our own business. And this one guy goes, Hey, Josh, like blah, blah, blah. Like our older brothers knew each other. And I thought he was being like kind of cool. So I was like, Hey, what's up, man? And he's like, I can't remember what he said, but he ends up like pushing me. I was like stunned. And then he pushes me again. And like my friends are kind of, and he was a bigger kid. He was a fifth grader and I'm a third grader. So size difference definitely came into effect. And so my friends are kind of just like, there are two of them like backing away like, oh, geez, like what's going on? And he pushes me one more time. So I just wind up and throw a punch right in his face, hit him in the nose and it catches him oh. off guard. So he falls down and he like stands up and like his eyes are watering and just like walks away. And I was like king of the castle for a day. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> But I, that's, yeah, that's been like my only alter, physical altercation I've, uh, I've ever been a part of. That's, that's way better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> it, it took some cojones to, to screen that kid, though, Drew. That's, that's pretty gnarly. And then at college, that guy who just like shoved you at uh, Sun God, the music fest that one oh, time. Oh, yeah, he punched you in the face. Yeah, I don't have a good track record with fights. <laughs> it's really these like quick hits sucker punch you yeah what is that is a that is such bullshit people who just like that's their thing they're just like yeah i sucker punch that guy like what's their side of the story when they get home just like this guy bumped into me at this music event so i turned around and punched him square in the face yeah <laughs> i'm just like, a sun god trying to forget dumbledore and uh <laughs> it's like <laughs> dude, <laughs> Dude, you really showed how strong and courageous you are by sucker punching that person. Uh, good job, man. <laughs> so uh, next, Tony's at the gardening store, which I always love when Tony's doing just normal things that aren't mob things. He sees the kid's dad, who AJ has been getting into fights with at school, Mr. Pia Costa. Tony's super nice, you know, talking about like, oh, we should grill something up, but he's holding an ax the whole time. <laughs> and so the dad is just like knows who Tony is and is is kind of freaking out. So love that scene. Makes an, The dad makes an excuse and gets out of there. Tony at home, uh, Tony has almost a panic attack uh, and almost passes out. Carmela goes to talk to him about therapy. She still thinks the therapist is a man. I don't know if you guys remember in the pilot. When Tony first reveals to Carmela he's seeing a therapist, she's like, Jessica, oh, what is he? When do you see him or, or whatever? She she references, you know, the male pronoun. Tony doesn't correct her on this, which is questionable. Uh, he says, you know, he's considering quitting therapy and, and she she lays it out for him. She says, you know, she can't stay with him if he, he quits therapy. And he says, what is that, a threat? No, Tony, it's a rave review. Get your own fucking pills, <laughs> which I just like. Good for you, Carmela. Good for you. In therapy, uh, Tony explains his his panic attack. Melfi is going to write him another prescription. Tony explains how he's stressed out. You know, he's balancing these his uncle and his mom. You know, this this older generation that is is putting a lot of weight on him, and it's making him do something he doesn't want to do. This is very important. Like Tony makes us or Melfi makes a suggestion. You know, would it? hurt him to let his older family members feel like they're in charge it's important to give some people the illusion of being in control you know referencing sometimes your kids sometimes relatives and things like that drew you ever employ that strategy with your parents <laughs> i think i think with the with covid uh i think a lot of people might be doing that with their parents <laughs> like, uh -huh, uh -huh. no my parents call the shots <laughs> 
Chris, Tony's nephew, goes to collect from one of his corners. Uh, his contact there explains to him, oh, Junior Sopranos boys already picked up the collection. Showing that Junior is already moving in on this territory. Chris goes, he beats up the guy. He uses a yo-yo, which is the second non-weapon object used in this episode. At school, AJ's going to have his fight. The kid, Jeremy, ends up paying him instead of he takes out his Velcro wallet and pays him the money for the shirt instead of fighting with him. Assumedly, or presumptuous, presumably, assumedly, are either of those words? I think it's presumedumptuously. Presumedumptuously, because the dad's, or the kid's father, yeah, I think presumably, presumably because the, because Jeremy's father left the gardening store, told Jeremy, you know, you better pay this kid. At the strip club, the bada bing, Tony's reading a book, Elder Care, which Melfi had suggested for him, which is just hilarious. He's reading this at the strip club. They learn Jackie April, the acting boss of their New Jersey crime family, has passed away from cancer. This creates madness in the organization. Uh, so they have a moment for Jackie. Chris Christopher comes in. He's pissed off because Junior's already moving in on his territory. He has this ridiculous Scarface reference. Chris wants bloodshed. Uh, you know, he misquotes the end of Scarface. He's just saying, you know, say hello. Or he says, say hello to my little friend. But he says he has like two bazookas, which I don't remember happening in Scarface. So Tony realizes he has to defuse this situation as soon as possible. There is no boss in this family right now. And, you know, it's a similar situation. If any leader in anything, I think it's either passes away or gets killed or anything like that. You want somebody to take the head as soon as possible so there's not that madness and that power grab. So Tony goes to the restaurant where Junior's at with a gun. So he comes in heavy. But he goes there and he reveals he wants to give Junior... He wants to make Junior the boss of the family, which Junior's ecstatic about. They seemingly reconcile. Because Tony does this, he's actually able to finagle and get too luc- lucrative, like the paving union and Bloomfield, he says, which are just like two other businesses, really, that Tony can collect on. So he actually makes a great deal, eases things out with Junior, and then gets these um, gets these lucrative businesses. So he's giving the illusion that Junior's in charge, which Drew sometimes employs with his parents during the quarantine. (laughs) Anthony Junior, AJ at home, tells Meadow that a bully backed off from him at school. Meadow reveals to him who their father is. She pulls up the most 90s website ever, and she reveals to, to AJ who their father is. And we talked about that before. We weren't sure if Meadow knew. She absolutely knows. Dr. Melfi goes to see her boyfriend, Randall. Randall's just... Seemingly another, uh, some more collateral damage from Tony Soprano, right? He's scared to leave his house because he got beat up by the police detective, Vin. He misquotes the Doors song, Faces Look Evil When You're Alienated. A recurring theme of characters misquoting pop culture references, songs, TV shows, Dan Teeb. People in everyday life are constantly misquoting references. I would believe that. I constantly misquote. I can get like half of it right and then... The other half is just way wrong. <laughs> very, very relatable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Once people start writing in and telling us all this shit that I'm saying that's wrong up here, <laughs> I just like, just like, <laughs> does not know anything. Did he even watch the show? <laughs> in therapy, it starts, ther- therapy starts. Tony mentions he fr- saw his first dead body when he's 15, 16, which is pretty tra- traumatizing. Dr. Melfi's distracted, concerned about randall her boyfriend she makes a very poignant 
statement, she feels she's sheltered from a violent world, which I think a realization of being sheltered is a really important thing probably for a lot of Americans because different Americans are always going through different things or different people of the world are always going through different things and realizing, you know, I'm, I'm really sheltered to casual violence of the world. I thought that was a nice nudge that she mentioned that. Uh, And she talks about how her date got beat up by a cop. (laughs) And Tony realizes that it was the police detective he hired that beat this guy up. At the end, Tony says he's not quitting therapy. The reasoning Tony gives is because he gets a lot of good ideas from therapy. I saw this as he's just finding all these pieces of his life. He's finding a way for these pieces to work to his advantage. Like he's seeing a way that therapy can actually make him a better mob boss out there, right? He's using ideas from it. Is that your dad, Drew? I think so. We're giving him the illusion. (laughs) I'm so sorry. He's like three rooms away. Who misplaced Monk season seven? I was meaning to watch those DVDs. Didn't you you wrap up the same present? It was like Planet. Oh, Blue Planet. Yeah. We're just, I'm just, it's still downstairs. So the story is like multiple Father's Days or birthdays in a row. You wrap up the same present and he acts as excited each year. Uh, yeah, basically. Blue Blue Planet, <laughs> which is like the least. I don't know. The ocean's pretty cool, but I feel like there's just so many Netflix shows and other shows that are just like those, those planet Earth shows that are so good. I don't know if Blue Planet stands the test of time like The Sopranos. But he didn't realize he kept getting the same thing each year. What's funny, Drew, is uh, I did the same thing. I, I got my dad the Planet Earth box set of DVDs for Christmas one year. And then like two years later, I was back home and it was still in the uh, <laughs> cellophane wrapping. Like yeah. he didn't even like didn't even attempt to get like even one of the episodes out. He was just like, oh, this will look good on my shelf and I'm never going to even touch it. <laughs> <laughs> Such a dad move. Last scene, uh, all the mobsters are at Jackie's funeral. Tony explains why he put Junior in charge. You know, he wants Junior to take the the heat from the feds or whatever other law enforcement that goes after the family while Tony can still call the real shots and uh, collect on certain things. And he makes a great comment. He's looking at Uncle Junior with his mom. and He's saying, you know, those people went through World War II. Like these guys were the greatest generation, but it's, it's sad, but it's, I guess, inevitable in some way when even like the greatest generation reaches a point where they aren't going to be the world leaders anymore. They aren't anymore, but they're still having so much, such a hard time letting that go. And I I thought that that tied the the whole episode together. And then Tony sees, or AJ sees Tony interacting with his, you know, his mobster crew. He sees the law enforcement taking pictures of the funeral and AJ really has his, his eyes opened at the end of this episode. All right, let's take our intermezzo. This week, the question is, who gives you inspiration? What gives you, who are your heroes out there in the world? Drew, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. So I've actually been thinking about this a bit. When I was in middle school, my, my hero was Lance Armstrong. And uh, <laughs> yeah, not, not as much anymore. That didn't age well. That did not age well, no. Uh, I think with like, yeah, as I'm getting older and I'm really looking at like, more not really working hard to be the best at a certain thing, but working hard to have the best lifestyle possible. 
uh, my my heroes are more Jack Johnson, and then there's a documentary filmmaker named Sarah Sutton, who's a surfer documentary person, and seems like they have the lifestyle, the job, the impact that they want. So I've been really th- actually thinking about that a lot lately. I, I like those a lot. Josh, how about you? I have a couple, you know, in like the business realm of things. I like people who have started their own business and then been able to kind of take it to to certain heights. Um, and so, like, I always really like uh, listening to Mark Cuban speak. Um, I don't agree with everything he says. And I think he can be kind of a, a jerk, but um, I do respect for what he what he did with his company. Um, I mean, some can argue he got lucky with the timing and everything, but, you know, he put it all on the line. I really respect people who do that, who make that full gamble, bet on themselves, and then it, it, and then it pays off. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. And then another person I really respect is a, is Joe Rogan, believe it or not, like, uh, not in the podcast. I feel like he is just someone who is able to speak his mind and change his mind and accept new opinions. And I think that's so hard to do, um, in the climate that we're living in right now, uh, for anybody to just sit down, listen and be like, okay, that other side has a valid point. I'm going to reshape my own framework and maybe, implement some of those ideas into my life. And I I think that's a really valuable skill to have. And I think it shows why he's so successful is because I think people are yearning for that where everything is so polarized that to have somebody who will ask good questions and and listen, that's something I always try to work on is, is being more open-minded and allowing my opinions to change. Uh, So those are kind of two. There's definitely someone I was more in the sports world um, athletically, uh, but those have fallen off since I've stopped playing competitive sports. So I'd probably leave right. uh, those two right now. I love that. I think you probably like Joe Rogan because he just signed what a hundred million dollar deal with Spotify for his podcast. Yeah, that doesn't hurt so either. Essentially, <laughs> essentially, yeah, we can hopefully, you know, sign the hundred million deal. Soon. <laughs> if we, if we we're going to model somebody, that'd probably be a, a good model to go off the, you know, that'll be our <laughs> starting negotiating point. No, but uh, joking aside, I, I love those. Mine, I'll, I have several heroes too. The ones I wanted to tell you guys about, I have short, short anecdotes on them really quick. But first one is Kobe Bryant. And because of mostly his work ethic is what I get the inspiration from. I, I'm constantly trying to make my craft of writing better. I'm trying to be a screenwriter. I get up at four in the morning and I'll, I'll write before work. And then I'll, I'll write for a couple hours after work every day. But what stuck with me is after his last day in the NBA or his last game in the NBA where he played almost the whole game, he scored 60 points at 37. The next day he gets up early in the morning and, and he works out in the morning. And if there's any, if there's ever any day to take off, you'd think that would be the day after you score 60 points in your last NBA game after 20 years. But he said, you know, he, he made a comment just like, you know, you lose your habits quickly. So I get a lot of inspiration from that. The other one, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, actually. And one thing he said, so Jerry Seinfeld is probably the most famous comedian ever, I would think, with Seinfeld and all his stand-up and everything. But he made this comment a couple of years ago when he was already in his 60s, but he continues to do stand-up still once a week in his 60s, even though he's, I don't know, a billionaire, uh, has everything he could ever want. But he does it because it keeps him sharp. He thinks being put in those positions every week continues to make him better um, so he doesn't lose those skills too and I just think that's that's really admirable and the third one is Dave Chappelle I know we mentioned him earlier too but I don't think there's 
any other person who could give up a $50 million contract for something that you deemed was, was not right or not, not morally correct with, with your ideals. So you, you were able to throw away a $50 million contract. And I think that's pretty admirable. I will say all three of us just said men. So I think there's probably something to be found. We're probably not looking at enough female heroes out there. So if anyone who's listening has amazing female hero stories you want to tell us about, please do let us know. Oh, I got a good, I got a good female one. Uh, this lady, Kathy Heller, she's a, uh, she has a podcast called don't keep your day job and just really inspirational. And like, uh, there's a couple women whose podcasts I listen to. And it's just like the, the amount of, people they that are listening to their podcasts and you think about like the amount of good they're doing by trying to get people you know out of their slumps and into the worth and making the world a better place i I really like those fantastic okay so shifting back let's get into the end of our capola criteria uh the pitfalls for that episode so we talked about this first one at length but one pitfall i had tony playing mario kart he doesn't press any buttons every Everyone in the 90s, every millennial is going to know that. That's probably the reason millennials don't like The Sopranos is because of that scene. Second, there's also that scene where there's a fly buzzing in AJ's room where it's clearly fake. He's showing almost no effort to get it with, I think, his baseball mitt. It's ridiculous. All the fight scenes with AJ and his adversary, Jeremy, I thought were a little silly. The show still hasn't stepped into making a realistic middle school or high school scenario, in my opinion. So my next one... And the scene where they find out Jackie April dies from cancer in the hospital, uh, it the scene ends with a stripper saying, I'll never forget where I was today, which is a, a good joke. It works on itself, but I think it is a cheap joke. I think this is the second time the show has fallen into a cheap joke using like a stripper as like, uh, like the punchline in a joke, like the fact that she's a stripper. I don't think that joke would play as well now maybe because there's more of awareness of oh these women might have not wanted to be strippers or all of them i don't think it's a bad joke i think it works as a joke i think it's just it's just too easy it's just like falling on an easy laugh here who wants to fight me on that does anybody disagree i think it kind of plays a little bit you know it is a corny line but you know at least when i hear my dad talk about it, he's like i know exactly where i was when i heard the news that elvis died even for us i remember what you know, I was heard on the radio when Michael Jackson died. Everyone was like, remember this, where you are? Like the, I was at, a, I was, yeah. going, I was at a Costco parking lot and heard that <laughs> Michael Jackson died. I was at my graduation party from high school, 2009. It's like June, uh, gosh, like 16th or 20th or something, 2009. Yeah. That sounds about right. But yeah. I mean, it's just to signify the passing of importance, man, but it's definitely hyperbolic because it's just like a mobster and it's like, Oh really? Are you going to, remember where where you were when they died so i don't, I don't know I don't, I don't think it was a pitfall but i also don't think it was you're not gonna win a an emmy with that writing i thought the humor well uh i thought the humor was trying to come from she's saying i'll never forget where i was and she's at a strip club which is like it's a silly place to never forget or something that's what i thought they were trying to get at as as the butt of that joke so i thought uh, okay i could see that too Obviously, you're going to know where, where you were when a significant person died. But the strippers saying that at the strip club, I thought they were just falling onto a, a trope, really, in a way. Do you guys have any pitfalls? Drew, do you have any? I guess uh, I didn't. I actually didn't mind the high school fight scenes. I thought when Chris fights that drug dealer and, and like 
he like hits him and then he boxes his ears, which I was like, <laughs> that's a bold move to just, it's like the combo, you know, I don't, <laughs> just if I was in that yeah. position for my vast fighting history, I'd probably just punch him in the face again. Yeah. And then he chokes him with a yo-yo, which was like corny and pretty gruesome at the same time. I will say so far, a lot of these pitfalls, which attributes the writers, most of these are like on set, the directors and technical coordinators really didn't figure things out besides the the stripper line everything else was something that could have probably been fixed on set josh did you have any pitfalls yeah i thought uh the one thing that bothered me the most was when uh, christopher walks into the the strip club right after jackie dies um still not sure that he knew that jackie died when they go did you hear the news and i thought christopher was almost reacting to the news that like junior was you know taking over more turf but yeah. the way that he uh, interacts with Tony, it was like so unrealistic. Like an underling in a mob family is going to straight up question the boss's authority and come out guns ablazing like that. It, it just seemed unrealistic to me that somebody would, would come in that hot disrespecting authority like that, especially at that moment if he had he, he really did know that Jackie died. So I was like, that doesn't make sense. Like if Tony should have honestly killed him right there. I think he probably feels because he's so comfortable with Tony, they have like the father-son relationship. He can say whatever he wants. I didn't like how gung-ho he was. I thought it was really stupid. And I think the writers are a little to blame on this. Like his Scarface reference. Again, I was just like, that's dumb. This is stupid. Yeah. I agree with you. So for the awards, Tony's decisions here. First, Tony's paranoid about therapy, so he hires the police detective friend to follow Melfi. What grade would you give that, Josh? I I give it a C. I mean, the only reason I and one of the reasons I give it that is because we as the viewer aren't privy to Tony's motivation. Like, what is he trying to find out? I mean, is he trying to find out if she really is like an informant for the FBI? Is he just trying to find some background info? I mean. I don't know what he's going to do with it. Like, is he going to try to blackmail her? Like for what? I mean, like free sessions. I mean, I, I just didn't, I don't see the end game. So maybe, maybe that it'll be revealed later, but uh, it just seemed like he was doing it just because he could. And um, the lack of a true reason or motivation kind of, that kind of bothered me as well. So what would have made it an A if he just didn't do that at all? If he didn't do it at all, or if we as a viewer were, uh, given a a legit reason like maybe if he saw her talking to let's say an fbi agent or if he had a reason to be suspicious of her um i mean you can kind of tell he's suspicious of her from the beginning just because she's a shrink but you know he seems to be gaining some establishing a trusting relationship with her so um i don't know why he needs the background info maybe just because he is naturally paranoid but i don't know i would have liked more of a motive for that for that uh, action so I think his motive is he doesn't want to be, he doesn't want someone to find out and him to get killed. Like he is completely questioning if he should be in therapy at all. So I think his alternative is just to quit therapy rather than not look into Melfi. I think that that probably actually is essential looking into Melfi because he doesn't know, he doesn't know therapy is a profession or if he, or really if therapists are held to like keeping all this confidential, he's not comfortable with that. So I feel like he did have to find out some way and I'm, I'm making a leap here so I'll, I'll give it i'll give it a b plus what would have made it an a is if tony starts to work and find another 
like a private investigator instead of a police detective or something, someone who's going to be a little bit more respectable or smarter about the whole situation. I think that would have made an A. But then again, maybe he likes he likes Vin because Vin is indebted to him. He can he can manipulate him, so maybe he likes him that way. Drew, what would you give it? I would have given it a C plus. I thought it was uh, I thought it was a good idea just to get some background information on Melfi for Tony's sake. But just the guy he hires, who's like pissing in the old folks' home and asking <laughs> him for macaroons. So you think you think what would have made it an A is if he found a better investigator to work on that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's probably something we're not seeing in that he feels Vin is indebted to him, so he feels that Vin's going to be loyal, which Vin showed by beating up Randall, but obviously that didn't work to anyone's benefit. Next decision, Tony decides Junior is in charge of the family. What do you think of that decision, Josh? I give that an A, A+. Plus. Um, I think it, it solved all his problems, uh, for the short term at least. Um, gave him you know, the negotiations he made. Gave him a, what seems like a very profitable business opportunity uh, with the, the union contracts and or whatnot, um, and it it keeps him out of the limelight. I mean, really, at the end of the day, people are motivated by self preservation, and not being the head of a crime boss, uh, crime family, is pretty good at uh, staying alive. I mean, who are the who are the feds going to go after? They're going to go after the the head of the snake, and so. If he can really be the one pulling the cords, um, whispering in the ear of the king, you know that's just as good as being the king himself. Can you foresee anything going wrong in this situation? I don't know. I'm just saying an A-plus is pretty high. I mean, he can... Uh, the only thing that could be... That could go wrong, which probably will go wrong, is that Junior starts making decisions that go against what Tony would, would have done. Um, but how drastically different those decisions are, I think will be the telling factor. But at this moment, I think the decisions he had was to either whack Junior, which he has such a strong familial bond um, or idea of family that he couldn't do. So I think he kind of chose the path of least resistance that still gave everybody the uh, uh, a good result, you know, because they, they both couldn't have stayed on the same trajectory. It was, it was going to blow up. And I mean, we even saw that with junior saying, Hey, next time you come around, you better come packing or else, uh, or come heavy. Um, so I, it was the best way to cool tension. So I, I thought it was a, a good maneuver. You know, I think drew mentioned this last episode, you know, Tony's between a rock and a hard place in a lot of situations. So sometimes his best choice still might have repercussions. And like you said, Josh, those, those exist out there. Um, I give it an A as well. How about you, drew? Yeah, I'm going for an A. I thought it was the best best way to go with as much conflict that was coming up. So again, we're keeping the tally of one one body count each episode. Uh, Jackie April dies this episode, so he's going to go into the nominees for the best death as as all the deaths of the epi- or of the episodes of this season. So best comedy scene nominees first: Tony's dream sequence. I love the part at the end when Melfi turns and it's actually his mother from Psycho. Freudian slip, as, as Drew mentioned earlier. Number two, Tony and Livia scene. Tony gives her the macaroons. She asks him to leave some for the lunatics, but really she wants him to leave them for her. Number three scene, Tony beats up Mikey and staples him. He said, what are you screaming about? Free alterations. Number four, Tony sees... The kid who has been fighting his son at school's dad at the gardening store. Tony's holding an axe and the dad gets scared and runs away. And then number five for best comedy, 
Tony tells Melfi he gets a lot of good ideas from therapy, so he wants to stay in therapy. Do you guys have any to add? I had one line. Uh, Anthony's getting ready to fight, and uh, his friend goes, if you get into trouble, go for the sweep kick. Steamroller, game is over. (laughs) (laughs) You kind of have these ideas of like how a fight's going to play out with these like combos as a kid. Or at least I did when I uh, threw that screen up. <laughs> so that's not really a scene, but... You're like, I'll duck when he throws a baseball at me. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to duck and sweep kick. Game's over. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think my favorite's the gardening scene, though, when the guy's just looking at Tony holding the axe. <laughs> I, would, I would agree with that. That It reminded me of, like, that happened in... I feel like that's happened in numerous other shows or movies, but just it's so classic where it's like the, the bad guy's holding what's you know a weapon but they don't even know it's a weapon and everyone's kind of freaked out but yeah i I thought that was great i have to go with tony's dream sequence at the beginning um, because i'm a sucker for psycho and i do love the more this show gets into dreams a lot as we will get into more and more dreams and i i love how it handles them most of the time and and so i think that was just a hilarious scene for best drama scene of the episode there's tony meets with junior the first time uh of the episode when Junior tells Tony why he's he's upset. He's upset about Chris and Brendan uh, stepping on his territory. And Junior tells Tony he better come in heavy next time. Number two, the capos of the New Jersey crime family are discussing who should be boss next. I always love seeing the tactical conversations of these, these mob characters. And they're eating lobster, which is just great. Number three, Tony tells Junior he wants Junior to be boss of the family. I thought that was a... I wasn't expecting that the first I saw the episode and I thought that was just everything in the episode coming together. I thought that was a great moment. And then number four is the ending scene where Tony explains his strategy to the Capos, but more importantly, AJ realizes who his father is. I like the final scene when Tony describes like his strategy and along with the, you know, uh, at the same time, Tony's kid realizes that, oh crap, my dad's a mob mob boss. I'm actually really curious to see how he, he takes it like, is he proud of his dad? Is he upset? So I'm curious to see how that unfolds. But I thought it was a, a cool little uh, combo scene, if you will. I don't know if it's a juxtaposition. I want to I want to use that word, but I don't know if it's the right right time to use that word. I don't know if that's... A juxtaposition <laughs> to what? Exactly. Yeah, I don't think it's the right word to use. <laughs> I would go with my gut there and not use that word. <laughs> we, we don't judge. You can use whatever word you want in this podcast. You can say astrology when you mean astronomy and... <laughs> and vice versa that that scene is is tough to beat it's it really really tied the episode together drew what do you think uh i like the 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 last scene i think have you guys ever like found anything out about your parents that you've been like whoa you know and then it's just like seeing feeling like uh you're processing that or you know it takes you like maybe even like a day to like think about it or even probably more than a day i remember hearing my mom or someone saying that my dad had done like blow and like be like what the you know like <laughs> my dad you know you're just like not ready for it in middle school or right. something you know you just gotten out of dare <laughs> you know or something like that <laughs> and uh you know you're just like just like so taken aback i mean not exactly on the same level as uh your dad you know possibly killing people but still uh i thought it was I, I thought it was a very relatable scene. Yeah, I'm going to go with the last scene too. Josh, why do you think it's so challenging for older generations to 
give up power at some point. I think a lot of it is uh, not trusting that the younger generation knows what they're doing. Um, and I think a lot of, there's some truth to that too. I mean, how, how quickly do our opinions and thoughts change? Like, you know, you go into college, so idealistic and then you graduate and it's like, Oh crap. Like the real world is way different than what I thought it would be. And then, and then you kind of get beaten down by the grind um, and then it's like, I don't know, your, your opinions do change a little bit more. And then you become a little bit more cynical being like, Oh, these college kids, you know, they don't know what they're doing. Um, so I could totally, totally see how that could be extrapolated. to when, you know, you're, you're 55, 60, especially when you have kids, like you have a little six year old kid, like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this or I'm going to cause real change. And you're like, I'm going to support you. But in the back of my mind, it's like, it's so tough, you know, good luck kid. But like, I know what's best for you because you haven't even been 30 yet. Like I, I kind of get that. Um, and I think it, it comes from one, you know, wanting the best for everybody, but, and then two, just not trusting the younger generation. And I think we're at that crossroads right now as a country. It's like, like you said, we have two freaking 80 year old guys like running for president. Like what's going on? <laughs> I'm not saying an 80 year old cannot do that job, but I'm saying you are not, you're rolling the dice. It's like, you're not going to, not, not every 80 year old is going to be able to do that. And it's like, all right, isn't there like a qualified 50 year old out there somewhere? Yeah. I, th- I think that's, that's a really good point, Josh. And talking about like our theme of this, this whole podcast, we're trying to figure out if the Sopranos still is the best series of all time, or if it is a generational thing. And I think a question is, am I holding on to the Sopranos as a boomer holds on to power in this situation is it me who's falling into this this same trope four episodes in do you guys think the sopranos has passed its its prime or should it still be in in the talks drew i'm I'm really enjoying it i think it's i think it's great and any 90s references or 90s you know it's like that since i i, I do very much identify as like a 90s kid so it's like ah it's a little corny but i really appreciate it at the same time Josh, is this on track so far or is it past its prime? I wouldn't say it's past its prime. I think it's definitely shown its age regardless of, you know, the references. Um, I was thinking about this the other day, you know, TV shows nowadays with so much competition out there of good content, they are very dramatic at the beginning. Like Game of Thrones, first whole season was like crazy. I don't know. I'm, I'm watching the show Billions right now too. That show has been crazy from the yeah. get go. And it just seems like to capture your attention, because right now we can watch thousands of shows on Netflix alone and how many other platforms are there. So if you're not grabbing somebody's attention by season or by episode one or two, you're lost. And I think this show is benefiting from not having to compete against that when it first aired. It was like, okay, this is airing on Sundays at nine for the Mm -hmm. next 10 weeks. It's HBO. There's no HBO. There might have been HBO too, but there's no like... HBO now, HBO Max. This is what's airing. You're going to have to watch it. And so it made people kind of dig in. And and uh, I think they're taking their time purposefully to make something great uh, where, you know, if it, I would be hard pressed to see if it, if this was competing against a lot of shows on Netflix right now, how popular it would be just based on the, maybe it's the attention span or the uh, level of time it takes to get committed to the show. Cause you know, I, I'm really enjoying it. Um, but compared to other shows that are out there right now, it doesn't give you that adrenaline. Let me see the next episode now, now, now. I want to know what happens, but 
I know it's building, you know, I can feel the, feel the build, yeah. but, um, which I, which I think is a testament to good shows, not so much just like brain, brain dump shows, you know, like, Oh, let's, let's get through a whole season in, in, in four hours just cause I want to know what happens next and then forget about the little, the little stuff where this show really cares about each scene. So I think it's, it was made at the right time and I'm glad I'm being able to enjoy it now. Um, and know from, from you guys that it is a great show and from all I've heard and, and don't get me wrong, I still think it's great and like I'm having a great time with it, but I think it'd be interesting if it was competing side by side with, with some other shows right now, how well it would really do. I'd be curious too. I think it has a lasting impact because, you know, it has the reputation. So people do give it a chance and they love it. But if it was released now at the same time as like Ozark was dropped or, you know, one of these other binge worthy shows. Yeah, I think, I think you're right, Josh. I think it'd have a lot harder time. And I don't think that's necessarily critical of the show as much as it is viewers nowadays. Do you have any predictions where the story is going to go, Josh, from here? Uh, I, I, I really didn't before we had tonight, but now I, uh, especially later on, I, I think there will be a conflict that grows between junior and Tony, especially when it comes to different approaches that they're each going to take. And I'm still not convinced that the conflict is resolved. And I think with um, uh, Chris, Christopher being, you know, still very angry, I think he's going to has the potential to cause some problems, even bigger problems now that, that junior's uh, the head, head honcho. So I'm very curious to see how that's going to go down. Cause up to this point, Tony hasn't been able to control him. So I think that's going to be the, the next thing he's going to have to do. It's generation difference. It's hard, hard to step on someone's toes who's, you know, grew up with your dad. So thank you everyone who listened to this tonight. Uh, you can find all our podcasts and some original scripts I've written at jaredbackens.com. That's J-A-R-O-D-B-A-C-K-E-N-S.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter if you like at Josh hasn't seen the Sopranos. Um, if this is your first time watching the Sopranos, just like Josh, give us a shout. Let us know. Let us know what your predictions are for it. Also, if you have any ideas for our intermezzo question, Drew, where can we find you, my friend? DrewMaddenArt.com. DrewMaddenArt.com. Awesome. And Drew also did the um, cover photo for the podcast here. Josh, do you have a new protege at your company picked out yet to replace you? I don't, but if uh, people are interested, send resumes to jaredbackins.com. <laughs> I'll, I'll go through. I'll, I'll find your, your next in line. I'll need you it's to screen them for me. <laughs> it's It seems like you're having trouble relinquishing power, just like Junior at this point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, next episode is a big episode, so I'm really excited. Uh, have a great night, guys. We'll, we'll chat with you soon.